Welcome to the Houston Healthcare Initiative podcast. My name is Harold Nickel. This week on the podcast, Dr. Stephen Goldstein will help us better understand the roles of managed care and the prices paid by all of us. How are prices determined and by whom? Is it the free market at work? Well, probably not. But with the real answers and insight into why this is the way it is, is respected neurologist Dr. Stephen Goldstein. And so, Dr. Goldstein, just how are the prices at hospitals determined? Uh, Medicare determines the hospital prices they will pay with an advice of an AMA committee. The hospitals then contract with insurance companies at prices that are 130 to 160% of the Medicare price but are discounted from their list price. The list price ranges from two to ten times the Medicare price. Hospitals justify the discounts because insurance companies guarantee the hospital volume of business, uh, a so-called volume discount. Insurance companies then advertise to the public that they achieve great savings for the patient, but this is an illusion. No one is really getting a good price under this scenario. This is a cost-plus system propped up by the government through Medicare. There is little incentive to lower costs or decrease hospital use. On the contrary, the emphasis is on increasing hospital use. Well, okay, so while supply and demand play little part in price assignment, then presumably the prices are set based on the effectiveness of certain treatments and how good they are at making people well, right? Sadly, no. Although a great deal of time and money is spent to develop new treatment for diseases, little effort is focused on cost-effective ways to deliver better quality care. To the contrary, the emphasis is on delivering more care for treatments with an established track record of effectiveness. This is a safe way to treat patients, and in the litigious society in which we live, no one can blame the medical profession for being conservative. But what about something new and better? If you haven't noticed, New treatments are routinely very expensive. Hospitals hate to change anything that is working, and by working, I mean making money. Any new or better, more effective treatment that does not improve revenue revenue goes on the back burner. I find that as disillusioning as anything we've, we've ever discussed. So please tell me that you do not have an example of this horrible practice. Sadly, I do have an example, and it's only one of many. Sepsis is a condition where bacteria enter the bloodstream and become widely distributed throughout the body. Unless treated appropriately, the patient will die. Dr. Pearl describes in his book, Mistreated, that a new protocol for treating sepsis was developed 15 years ago. This treatment was demonstrated to significantly lower the death rate. Yet 15 years later, it has not been adopted universally, and it is only in 50% of the hospital. If hospitals were truly in competition, and data such as mortality rates, surgical complications, and successful treatment rates were publicly available, I suspect adoption time might be more like 15 months than 15 years. Think about this. What if you were using a computer that hasn't been updated in 15 years? Yes, it will still work the way it did, but the user is missing out on a lot of technical advances. Okay, so is the resistance to change keeping treatments like this out of half the hospitals? Partly, but 
but mostly as need to maintain profit and an aversion to risk in the form of lawsuits. Treatments that reduce hospital length of stay will reduce revenue by reducing the hospital census. Doctors and hospitals get rewarded based on the after-expense revenue they generate, commonly known as profit. Finding ways to generate more profit is what they will focus on. The new sepsis treatment does not bring in higher profit, so it doesn't get used. Is this issue, the issue of not adopting new treatments in the name of profit, is this a universal problem? Yes. Our current managed care system rewards doctors and hospitals for more care rather than better care. We need a system that requires less hospital care by improving public health. There should also be a way for better, newer ways to treat disease to be allowed without artificial price structures that discourage the advance of medicine. Well, okay, but just because I know somebody is going to say that the example you cite is just an outlier, could you give us another one? Yes, absolutely. As a neurologist working in hospitals in Houston, I am consulted in the hospital on patients for syncope. Okay, um, I'm sure I should know what that is, but I, I don't. Can you, uh, can you tell me what the heck that is? Well, in plain English, these patients who exhibit, exhibit symptoms of syncope have passed out for a few seconds or a few minutes, and are then seen in the ER. In the ER, any emergency causes have been discovered and corrected. These include such things as low blood pressure, anemia, heart attacks, low blood sugar, dehydration, and so forth. The patient is now wide awake with normal vital signs. If no cause for the syncope has been discovered, further evaluation is necessary, as the patient may have an irregular heartbeat, had a seizure, a vasovagal episode, or even a psychiatric problem. In my view, further evaluation for these patients could be as an outpatient at a much lower cost. Worse yet, I now see similar patients in the hospital for near syncope. That means they felt a little dizzy. Hospital stays, for any reason, are expensive, much more so than office visits. Here's what I really think. If patients were actually paying the bill, I should expect at least some of them would not agree to hospital admission and would opt for the outpatient approach. But since the insurance company is paying, no one gives a hospital stay a second thought. Yeah, now, since we're talking about um, these universal issues, what is the main problem with with hospitals and managed care? Well, it's the way the business of health care has evolved. In 1977, there were over 50 independent hospitals in Houston where I practiced. Now there are four hospital systems. They have brought up hospitals, physician practices, and independent imaging and surgery centers. This decreases competition and results in higher prices and care that is passable rather than what is best in the class. Will, will any of this get better Anytime soon? Probably not. The healthcare business is undergoing changes with even more mergers of unrelated companies, like pharmaceutical chains with insurance companies, or drugstores and medical clinics that only treat minor ailments using physician assistance. There are even hedge funds buying medical business. In my view, the first merger will not lower either drug prices or insurance costs significantly. If the largest drug change and the largest insurance companies merge, it could lead to collusion and price fixing. Before that happens, I hope the government will scrutinize the impact of competition and how people will ultimately bear the cost. 
So, Dr. Goldstein, with the time we have left today, what is there to conclude about managed care and hospitals and the state of the healthcare business? Managed care has fostered the growth of the large hospital system, but I'm not convinced that this is the best way to deliver health care. Hospital executives will tell you that these changes, driven mostly by mergers and acquisitions, are all for the good of the public and will allow big organizations to leverage their buyer power, buying power, for the good of the public. Great. But where's the evidence? Are costs decreasing? The two examples I mentioned are not even the tip of the tip of the big iceberg. If the free market is allowed to flourish, we would quickly find out if the large hospital systems can compete on price and quality. I believe that hospitals would have to innovate to compete, and this would lower costs and higher quality service. Well, what evidence currently exists that suggests this is so? Well, we see a glimmer of what can happen with the Medicare Advantage plan. They have lowered the monthly charges for patients, provided free gym memberships and other benefits at no extra charge. They do this because if they lower health care costs, they make a profit. They pass some of these profits to the patients in order to attract the business. Well, thank you, Dr. Goldstein, for giving us this look behind the curtain into the actual practices and pricing for managed care. The biggest thing managed here is the profit that publicly traded companies realize. And you have to give the business managers who drove all of this credit for not just learning how to take advantage of the government-regulated business environment, but for also finding ways to make the public believe that this was all for their benefit. So if it feels like you've been duped by the medical business, it's because you probably were. Now to learn more about this and other similar issues that affect the medical care business, please visit the website at HoustonHealthCareInitiative.org. Hey, thanks for listening. Please tell your friends about the podcast and come back next time for another edition of the Houston Healthcare Initiative podcast.